0: Welcome to the Apple of Truth, a podcast that despite our original intentions has grown into a pure Neil Gaiman appreciation.
1: So let us take you on a journey through everything Neil himself has ever written.
0: Currently we are covering The Sandman and hope to enrich your dreams and haunt your nightmares.
1: I'm Lina and I'm Vero and today we're talking about season 1 episode 2 imperfect hosts did you recognize our imperfect hosts before we got their names
0: no Cain and Abel oh Ah! Uh, they are the imperfect hosts okay
1: I assumed so
0: I don't I couldn't figure it out who's the imperfect host is it Lucienne
1: no she's not the host I assume it applies to basically everyone, because, like, everyone is a host in one way or the other, but to me, mostly refer to Cain and Abel.
0: I did not recognize them. I had a suspicion it was them, but it only got super confirmed when uh, he calls him Abel. So the first three seconds I was clueless.
1: Okay. <laughs> well, we've now about five minutes for our lovely patrons. If you want to be a patron, find <laughs> us over at patreon.com slash totpodcast. And you can also listen to whatever the fuck we were just talking about. Instead of having more banter, how about I give you my summary of this episode? Whoop, whoop, whoop. And I said, this is where we meet some characters we know in a very different setting, get some casual and not so casual murder and finish setting up the story for this season.
0: Mm-hmm. Very exciting. Very exciting. Very sad. I am not going to talk about the sad things until we get to them and then I'm going to blast through them real fast and then pretend they never existed, as I usually do.
1: Okay, so I shall take over in that moment.
0: Yes, please. Now, for the next segment, I forgot that we were doing that, actually, until I uh, reopened my notes and was
1: about to start taking notes for this episode.
0: And I have named it Thirsty Times in my notes.
1: Thirsty Times? Yes, yes. Okay, okay.
0: Mm -hmm. And my thirsty moment of this episode was when Dream tries to fix the cathedral and all of the bits and pieces start lifting up around him and so does his coat and everything's just kind of floating and he looks like really straining himself to fix it and I'm really rooting for him and then everything just falls apart and that was just really hot for me.
1: So when he grunts, that's hot for you? (laughs) (laughs)
0: I don't know why you must put it that way, but sure, let's go with that.
1: I went very, very different because I was not a fan of Dream in this episode for various reasons. But my hottest Dream moment is definitely his evil reflection in the water that pulls him under.
0: (sighs) That one's good. That one is very good. I'm not going to lie.
1: Because it looks even more like his comic self. Okay, that makes sense. It's an evil Tom Sturridge, definitely more my jam.
0: Yeah, I can see why. I have met you before.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Always get something for the bad boy. If bad, why sexy? It's very simple. Yeah, I get that. So we shall see if that continues. But before we can go into the actual episode, there are some facts and fun bits that we have to talk about. So director for this episode is James Childs, and he is going to be our director for the next few episodes all the way up, including to episode five. He did six episodes on that. He has done Doctor Who. He did four episodes in season 11. That is the Jodie Whittaker era. And he has done two episodes on Willow. And James Giles is also co-executive producer for this one. So, really in there. Interesting. The writer, or rather... As I went into large detail last episode, the teleplay writer for this one is Alan Heinberg, all by his lonesome, and I talked about him more than enough. So, tiny tidbits in the episode. In Ethel Cripp's apartment, one of the paintings you see hanging is The Dream by Pablo Picasso. Ah! Love that. And then of course we have uh, location information. The filming location for Kane and Abel's House of Mystery and House of Secrets was Scotney Castle near Lambhurst in Kent. So some distinctive parts of the houses were actually filmed there. There's like CGI to make it larger and blah blah la. There is a Wikipedia article on that. Castle, which I recommend reading, just because it's curious who has lived
0: there. I have one question and one question only. Is it haunted?
1: No, but Margaret Thatcher stayed there for a while.
0: (laughs) Oh, so it is haunted by (laughs) an evil evil witch.
1: (laughs) But that's not all. It has also been used to host Shakespeare productions, notably A Midsummer Night's Dream, where the actors appear from behind the bushes, one by one.
0: Lovely. So yeah, I
1: definitely recommend checking out the link in my notes. And lastly, the car we see driven by Joanna Constantine is the Ford Sierra RS Five Hundred Cosworth, and since only five hundred of those were ever built, it is quite appropriately regarded as a dream car. Ha ha ha!
0: First of all, when is she driving a?
1: We see the flashback with her, refer- and there you see a car for a short moment, ap- apparently. Oh, okay. I so, yeah.
0: m- somehow missed that.
1: Shocking, I really. So yeah, it's a dream car, which, haha. So funny. Yes. <laughs> and with this usual quality from IMDb giving us curious, but sometimes not that necessary information... I finish my facts and funs.
0: Mm. Love that. Thank you very much. Now for the first time with this show, let's get into Previously On. Last time, Morpheus got encaged by a random human, Roderick, for a hundred years, only to be finally released by Roderick's son. By accident. His items of power were stolen by Ethel, who herself was pregnant by Roderick. We meet the Corinthian, who has teeth for ice, and yes, he is a nightmare, and Lucien, who is left to care for Dream's Realm by herself. And we also meet the raven, Jessamy, who is cruelly taken from us, Just as we fall in love with her.
1: One very important correction. He is not freed by Alex. I refuse to give the boy the credit.
0: Okay, well, freed by Alex's... Husband. Husband.
1: Husband. Yes. Very likely. Yes. He is freed by Alex's husband. I am happy with that. <laughs> yes. Credit where credit is due. Paul is the one who deserves it, okay? Do you want me to redo the whole thing or let's just keep this down here? As long as I get to shit on Alex, I'm happy. <gasps> Good. We ended last episode in the dreaming where dream had just returned and this is basically where we start and right from the start again we have this strong distortion lens when we pan up the castle just like last episode but more so because now we're back in the dreaming and we didn't get too much time in the dreaming in episode one. And everything is grey. Except for the windows. Yeah, the shards are not gray because those were the three colored windows.
0: Yeah, that's what I was wondering. Is there like a specific
1: reason for the colors that are up there? Basically, everything is broken and sad and gray and broken and maybe some leftovers of colors and... The way Dream reacts leads me to believe he did not expect this to be this bad because like, he literally has tears in his eyes. Yeah,
0: Yeah, he's very very sad. Also, as they are walking in, I did wonder to myself how he's gonna rebuild it, if he's gonna just magic it back up or if he's actually gonna have to create people or bring over people who will physically have to rebuild the castle and then it kind of gets answered but because of the fail I'm not really sure if that's going to be the way
1: i mean basically he needs his powers back to be able to form the dreaming and we even get a sort of answer to the question i posed last episode with where does he get the sand from apparently he has like a minimum amount of power within himself but he needs the pouch to create more or he needs to reuse stuff that he has already created which is where we're going in a moment so yeah. but first we have the whole conversation with lucienne like how long has this been this way and Lucien is like uh, for a while and i'm really feeling mostly for lucienne here and not for dream because the way she talks about the library and the books suddenly being empty and everything. It's like, I feel more for her because she was there. She had to witness everything falling apart and everything ceasing to be. While he chose to be petty and stayed away longer than he absolutely had to.
0: That's fair. But also I love petty. Petty is my jam, So I do understand why he made the choices that he made in the previous episode. And I I agree with you. I do feel for Lucien. But also, isn't this literally her job?
1: No, because she is the librarian. It's not her job to take over his job. It's not her job to mind his creatures.
0: Her job is to mind his books and they just disappeared and she couldn't find them still. So that brings me to another question. Where did they go? Like, did they just disappear with Dream's power disappearing? Or what happened to the books? Did they just move to a different realm?
1: No, I would assume because she says that in the beginning they were there and then they started being empty and then they started being gone. So... In my understanding, they simply cease to exist because everything in the Dreaming only exists because Dream made it or because something took refuge there. Like Cain and Abel, because Cain and Abel are not his creations.
0: Hmm. Anyway, I do find Lucien super loyal, which is nice to see because he needs somebody like that to keep him alive, I suppose.
1: Yeah, and he definitely should listen more to her than he does in this entire episode. I'm also curious why Dream has a royal librarian.
0: Because he's the lord of dreams, so he's the king.
1: Yeah, but still, like, why does Dream have a royal librarian? It's just curious to me, that's all. It's a very interesting position to be filled by someone this good.
0: That also brings a question, is there other librarians than Lucien that are not royal, but just librarians? and Second, is Lucien his creation then?
1: I think then he might have considered some more drastic measures at some point. But I would assume that he made her in some way. But I'm curious as to why she's a librarian. I would assume for her to be like a council or I don't know, manager in (laughs) lack of a (laughs) non-modern word, you know? Dream manager Yeah, you know <laughs> Yeah Housekeeper, basically
0: I suppose the librarian is just a fancy old-timey word for a book manager
1: Yeah, hence why the books Yeah So yeah.
0: No, you're absolutely right
1: And so we, of course, have the repetition and exposition that he needs his sand, his helm and his ruby to do what he needs to be done And also, because he says, I do not know where nor Or what I am without them. That made me stop. Because it is very curious that a supposedly powerful being like Dream. Is rendered virtually powerless without his tools. And it makes you wonder. Did he imbue these items with the power? Or were they imbued with this power before he became who he is? Were they all created together? Like the four of them. Like the creature, the helm, the ruby and the sand. Do they exist the four of them as one, basically like the Trinity, but four, you know? Because like it is a choice to say, I do not know where nor what I am without them.
0: I would say he has had them for so long that he can't imagine not having them. But also, does that mean he cannot be without them or he
1: can't imagine being without them? It's two different things. But he says, literally, I do not know where I am without them, which is like... It's a lot. (laughs) It it feels like a lot.
0: I wonder if there is a power or his power, if it's still within him without these items and he has just in, uh, for the lack of a different word, crippled himself by using and putting so much weight into the items of power that he has while he doesn't actually need them.
1: He has a slight amount that remains within him. As we see, like, he is able to lift up the shards and he is able to go into the free dreams later on and everything and he is able to absorb Gregory, but he can already do a lot. I mean, he also was able to fight the humans, so he does have some power, but not... As much as I would have expected. But we leave dream and the dreaming and we go to Buffalo, New York for a moment. Did you recognize her? Or did it take you a while to understand that this is Ethel?
0: I think it clicked pretty much immediately.
1: Good. I was very impressed with her being fluent in at least four languages. Right?
0: I adore her. She's one of my favorite characters after this episode. I'm not gonna lie. One thing that I would say, why are you doing that? She goes outside to check. Even though she sees that there's nobody on the camera. Why would she leave the apartment? Come on, Ethel, you're better than this.
1: This is literally my note, because this is a horror film trope, that your doorbell rings, you check your paranoid setup, you see there's no one out there, and instead of leaving it be, you open your door. Which, if you are that paranoid that you have a setup like this, don't. This is how the monsters get inside. Exactly, and she knows full well about monsters. Yeah, so that is a bit upsetting that... She obviously is so smart and paranoid, but she does this very stupid mistake. But also it makes me wonder, otherwise the Corinthian probably would not have been able to get in. So, curious, curious, curious. Also, you notice the Corinthian doesn't age because he is a nightmare. He doesn't change. Of course he doesn't change. Neither do
0: his eyes.
1: Ah, but he's funny. I like him. When she's like, she's keeping away from people or whatever. And he goes, oh, I'm not exactly people. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. His accent is still giving me the ache. I I just can't place it. I can't figure it out where to put it. I
1: think it's deliberate. Yeah,
0: I mean, it makes
1: sense, but ugh. I love him. He's so gross. I really, really would love to meet the actor at some point just to see and know how nice he is because so many times people who play horrible characters like that are absolutely fucking lovely.
0: Do you know who he reminds me of? And I don't know if you're gonna agree with me, probably not. He reminds me of... Ryan Gosling a little bit.
1: Yeah, I, I see where you're coming from. I actually think he's more attractive than Ryan Gosling because Ryan Gosling really doesn't do it for me.
0: That's fair enough. He he does do it for me, so I guess. He's
1: like a slightly roughened up version of Ryan Gosling. Yeah. Just a bit rougher around the edges, a bit more... More toothy. <laughs> <laughs> like he has, he has more harsh angles, which really work for me. I like me some, some hard lines in a face.
0: Yeah, not bad, not bad. He is hot, we can agree on that, until he takes off his damn glasses.
1: Yeah, which is why he wears his sunglasses at night and inside. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... So we get some banter between Ethel and the Corinthian and everything, and he is basically warning her that Dream is free. And that he's going to come for all of them Because she stole from him And yeah I want to go on record and say Ah uh, ah uh, ah uh, ah uh, ah uh, Ethel stole from Roderick I know it's just a technicality But in my opinion it's a very important technicality
0: And I agree with you
1: I'm curious if this is going to make a difference If Dream at any point confronts her Because Ethel does not show up later on In the interaction with the fates Only her son does So at the moment it seems like Ethel is going to dodge the bullet and not going to have to meet Dream.
0: She's in the clear. I don't know. I feel like Dream would understand that she did what she had to do. And yes, she could have gone about it differently. She could have tried to free Dream and maybe bargain with him. But he wouldn't bargain with anybody else. So I understand why she was like, well, this is something that can help me start a new life. So I will take it. And I think... From what we've learned about dreams so far. I think he will understand that.
1: I'm curious if the two of them are ever going to meet. Because I honestly don't remember if that ever happens. We shall see how that goes. But thankfully this is a decently short moment. But now we are left with the horrible knowledge that the Corinthian is in Ethel's home. And we go back into the dreaming. Where Lucien and Morpheus continue having their conversation. And... One of my favorite creatures is being mentioned. Not just favorite creatures in this setting, but in general, the three in one, the fates, the all-mother, basically. I've never heard the expression three in one, one in three. That is not true, because I talk about that in my Hecate, Devils in a the Detail. Okay, haven't.
0: I don't remember hearing <laughs> this specific <laughs> expression. I've heard definitely Hecate, obviously, we've talked about that, but this is a specific name that didn't suck in my brain. So uh, it makes complete sense because Dream says they see the future, the present and the past and then there's three of them and they are all different ages so you could...
1: It's the crone, the mother and the maiden. It is basically what the Holy Trinity in Perversion is later on because... Three is always and has always been something that symbolizes life and faith and and like mysticism and everything. So the fates in the Norse mythology, also three, with the, the skull and I can't for the life of me not remember the other two names. I used to know all of these things. And they sit at a well and they speak been the thread that basically is the story of the world and everything and womanhood in itself is contained in the three in one but they are one person because later on when they talk with each other to him one calls the other sister self which is a great way of putting it. Because they are the same person, but they're also not. And every time this creature shows up in any way, shape or form, I'm always here for it. Because it is always femininity. It is always the essence of life and death and anything in between. And it's just, I'm always here for it. So I'm I'm, I'm loving it.
0: Yeah, same. I really love this version of them. And of course, Osian says, but they speak in riddles. Yes, that absolutely checks out. We. Uh are for sure talking about the same fates in all the other different media and variants.
1: But we're not actually meeting them yet he is talking about having to meet them and Lucien is really not on board with that because they are dangerous yes duh of course they're dangerous and Dream is weak and so Lucien does the horrible thing of suggesting maybe asking for help from a sibling maybe destiny or desire and Dream is so salty because he's like oh I'm sure they're already aware and I'm sure they know and and, and, and." I'm like oh dude of (laughs) course they know? (laughs) Come on, Destiny? Of course! Of
0: course Destiny would know, because if Dreams got imprisoned and destinies got changed because of his power being gone. And the people who were holding him, their destinies
1: changed because they captured Dream. Maybe all of this was destined to be. Yes. And that is why destiny didn't interfere because this is as it was meant to be.
0: And again, desire absolutely 100% had to know. Death 100% had to know. All of these fuckers knew that Dream has been imprisoned and sitting in this fucking thing, being a decent, eternal being and not offering something that he cannot give. And none of them helped. And none of them fucking helped. So I am 100% on board with him. I will die on this hill. He has all the rights to be pissed towards his siblings because there are pieces of garbage and they didn't help him. Two separate things, but also one thing.
1: I think... They most likely couldn't and shouldn't help them because each of the Endless has their own domain. (laughs) Yet again, a D. A big D. And he was responsible for his. And so he probably has never meddled with any of the others and so they don't meddle with his.
0: Yes, but as Lucien has pointed out, they have been known to meddle in each other's affairs.
1: Yes, but he hasn't. So why should they meddle with him if he has never helped? He's the most righteous endless of them all. We have
0: learned that in the previous one.
1: And probably also the most stuck up. So if I was his sibling, I was going to be like, yeah, I could help, but Dream last time really gave me a telling to when I interfered with something. So I'm not gonna because I'm gonna behave because pettiness is me.
0: <laughs> yes, well, pettiness is also him. Yes. Yes.
1: No, but technically I agree with you that it is a bit sad when your siblings leave you out to dry, basically.
0: Well, also I feel like Lucien is very bold. I get where it's coming from. She wants Dream to be safe and she wants him to go with, let's call it, the way of
1: the least resistance. She wants him to be safe and so she is trying to suggest things that does not put him right back into the middle of danger.
0: But... She also knows him better than that. The thing is
1: she doesn't because I think he changed with a hundred years of captivity.
0: Do you think? Do you think that he would have gone to his siblings if something like that happened before?
1: I think that before he was imprisoned he had a different understanding of himself and now he's overcompensating because we see him... Do a lot of things that are incredibly dangerous And he refuses to listen to reason And technically she warned him that this was going to go bad And he didn't listen and then it went bad And now he needs to double proof that he's got this So I am with her in trying to be overly cautious Because, I mean, yes, I know technically the Endless don't have gender But the dream is being very much a man right now, you know (laughs)
0: I mean, yes, but like, I kind of also still understand where he is coming from.
1: If he was human, yes, but he isn't. And also, I really hope that later down the line, he acknowledges that without Lucien, him and the dreaming in general would be so much more fucked. So I really hope he shows some gratitude and some reciprocity in the future, because she has gone to the bad for him and she really deserves it and right now he is being a bit dismissive of her and I do not appreciate that attitude
0: I feel based on what we've seen so far he does appreciate her but there's also things that he needs to do to prove that he uh, still got it you know and yes that is a very man approach but
1: yes he's being a man that is hilarious because he is supposed to be an endless being but right now he's being a man
0: yes but we all have human flaws and gods do too
1: I mean he's not a god he's more than a god but also he was written by a man so maybe Neil is working through some of his own (laughs) ways you know
0: Wow. How can you write a character if you won't make them human? I don't think it would be interesting if they weren't human.
1: We will see if we're going to meet any less human characters in the future. But right now we're going to meet some very human characters. Because it is time to go over to the home of Cain and Abel. Yes, we go there and we see a creature flying. And I was like, is it a dragon? Is it a gargoyle? It is a gargoyle named Gregory. And he's so cute. I love him so
0: much. And yes, right before we got to go there, Dream talks about a creature that he created that he could absorb. And I already had a bad feeling about this because then I saw the cutest gargoyle being in all the gargoyle beings' history.
1: And... I was not wrong. But we also meet the men. And the men are Cain and Abel. And obviously we know Cain and Abel from the Luciferverse. Because we meet both of those characters. they very, very different. Very different. And I talked a bit about Cain and Abel in the respective Devils in the Details. So if you want the basic background info on those, just find whatever episode that. Was
0: you just go back about eighty four years and then uh, uh, you will find the rest episode and bonus on that. Yeah, if
1: you are a patron, I'm pretty sure you can search for the Abel or Cain and then it should show up in the because we put the names of the devils and details and music there. So yes, just become a patron and it's gonna be fine. Good, we have this whole very very unhappy interaction.
0: Well. We first learn that they live in two different houses, one of which is called House of Mystery and the other one House of Secrets. Is there any lore behind that that you remember?
1: I think I very shortly touched upon that when I talked about it in The Devils in the Details because the whole Eve thing is also something there.
0: Mm -hmm. I would be interested in maybe what does that mean and why one of them has mystery and the other one has secrets because there's obviously a big difference between mysteries and secrets. And Gregory has a doghouse. I know it's so cute. That he plays with his little ball and everything. And around the time that the two of them start greeting Dream and they say, just take anything you want, my lord. Anything what is ours is yours. And I realized it clicked that he's there for Gregory. And Aww. then it clicked together with the I need something to absorb. And I was like, no, no. How dare you? Why do you keep insisting on hurting me? This is terrible. Poor Gregory. And yeah, of course, of course it happened.
1: I'm curious if this is going to be a thing, like if we're going to meet another adorable creature in episode three that is then going to die. Right? For Dream. Because Jessamy died for Dream and Gregory has to die for Dream.
0: Well, at least Jessamy chose to die, Well, well, I mean, they both did, but no, at least Jessamy wasn't murdered by Dream.
1: I mean, indirectly, but yes, it's still his responsibility. And I am with Cain, i.e. put the blame fully on Dream, because Abel is, like, trying to be understanding and everything, and Cain is being very harsh about this, which I find adorable, because he tries to come across this, like, this strong and la 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 -la -la, but I think he actually cares more than he is willing to admit for Gregory and his brother so it's really really sweet and then we have of course the whole interaction with Dream and Gregory.
0: See the thing is I would be a lot more angry at Dream for doing this if I didn't think that he uh, cared. If I thought that he was doing this without a second thought if I thought that he wanted to do this and he would have done something like that anyway. No, this is
1: necessary, but it doesn't make it any less cruel. He tries to make it up later on by giving the egg, but I'm there again with Cain. He better not hope that this makes up for it because it doesn't.
0: And he also agrees that it's not fair. When Cain says it's not fair, he agrees. So... I think that he knows full well what he's doing and he's only doing it because
1: there is no other way that he can The greater good. The greater good. Sorry. Here in the darkness, the greater good.
0: The greater good.
1: So Gregory is saying goodbye to everyone just to tuck a bit more on our heartstrings.
0: It's so sweet. I love him so much.
1: It is really well done, even with the CGI and everything. And then Dream starts absorbing Gregory. And he does look quite a bit more alive right after. He does.
0: And he has tears in his eyes. And unfortunately for me, I had to wonder, is he theory because he genuinely feels remorse for doing this? Because who wouldn't love Gregory? Or is it because he feels Gregory's pain?
1: Why not both? Don't
0: you hate me? (laughs) That makes it worse. That makes it so much worse. And what happens after is that there's suddenly a lot of red flowers blooming in the spot where Gregory disappeared. I missed that. I would love to know what types. It looked a little bit like a poppy flower, but I don't think they were there before. And there's definitely more of them by the time Dream walks away.
1: Okay. I completely did not realize that. So I completely missed that.
0: Yeah, it's definitely has some sort of a meaning to it that I don't know. And I hope that we get more information and maybe explanation of what this stands for. I was
1: more focused on the comic relief in Cain killing his brother because (laughs) time to kill your brother.
0: Yeah, do you know what this reminded me of? If you remember the uh, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Yes, of course. This is exactly the same principle where one sister kills the other and if she buries her in... A dirt, the dirt will bring her
1: back to life. Sabrina's aunts do like to kill. Like, one likes to kill the other. It is a very one-sided relationship and it is very reminiscent of the whole Cain and Abel thing.
0: Yeah, they also have a very similar demeanor to these specific Cain and Abels as well. So I do wonder if there was any sort of an inspiration taken in the comics because I don't know if this is directly lifted from the Sabrina comics or...
1: Good question. I never read the Archie comics and Sabrina is from the Archie comics. So that is something I am completely not familiar with. It is time to pop back to Buffalo, New York and... We have to deal with the continued being of the Corinthian in Ethel's home. And finally, the relevant question is being asked, as in, why are you here? Rich, loving that.
0: Yeah, Ethel, again, proves she's very smart and there is a reason why she's as successful as she is. And as we soon find out, it is not just Dream's items that got her that far. It's also her wits and smarts.
1: Yeah, she basically exchanged some of the items for better fitting items, I'm gonna say. Mm Mm-hmm. And... We get
0: the Corinthian first suggest a cooperation, which is what he did originally with Roderick. He said, I will tell you how to contain this person and you will be able to leech onto his power. And Roderick went for it. So I feel like the Corinthian expected that to happen again very easily. And when Ethel doesn't straight away, he very quickly turns to blackmail. Oh yeah,
1: because why not? When the whole son john thing is being mentioned me knowing bits and pieces of the comics i thought this was going a very different direction with the john because i thought it was gonna be john constantine because i had forgotten that we get the gender bend in the tv show so i was like wait ethel is a john's mom oh different john okay (laughs) so yeah that was curious to me All in all, I am very, well, I'm wondering where does the Corinthian get all his information? Because the Corinthian is incredibly knowledgeable. How? What does he do when he's not eating eyeballs with his teeth eyelids and gain all of that knowledge, you know?
0: Well, I feel we get a little bit of a hint of... His knowledge inquirement in the next scene that we're gonna get. Because he mentions that if he eats Ethel's eyes, or if he takes Ethel's eyes, I don't know what he does with them,
1: he will know what she knows. Yeah, but what people has he eaten to have this information?
0: How did he find her in the first place? I don't know. I guess we'll have to wait and find out. Unless he is genuinely just eating people's eyes.
1: He's weird. I love him. I'm very very much here for the Corinthian because he is so fucked up.
0: He is deliciously evil I'll give you that
1: Oh yeah that is is a perfect way to put it And now we leave the deliciously evil Behind and we go back into the dreaming And I can nitpick so many things In this scene But one of the things I need to complain about Is if the waters are a part of him As he claims Why can't he absorb those
0: It's different because he can't absorb water he can he can only absorb creatures that he created he didn't create the waters because he is a part of them as well
1: as they are a part of him but gregory also was a part of him and then he made him and then he now reabsorbs him into himself it seems very this works because i want this to work and this doesn't work because i don't want this to work you know I expect better from Gaiman.
0: There is a difference though. There is a difference because the waters are an environment.
1: Gregory was a creature. So just because it isn't alive, I mean the waters seem very much alive. Yes,
0: but the thing is with Gregory, he made him out of his power. He didn't create the waters. He needs something that he actually
1: created. I'm not sure if he did not create it. He said it's part of me. So that's, that's why I'm debating this. I don't think he did. But you made another point inadvertently. Gregory in the end consented to being reabsorbed. Because consent is important. Even in a dreaming.
0: Well, yes. That maybe that's one of the reasons why the Corinthian is still around.
1: Yeah. So maybe the waters would never consent and thus he doesn't even try because the waters also show his evil version. So mm.
0: Maybe also he can still absorb without consent because I'm pretty sure he was about to do that in uh, episode one with the Corinthian, but only if he has his items of power. And because he doesn't have ah. them... He needs consent from the creature in order to reabsorb it.
1: Oh, I love that. We're going with that until proven otherwise. So now we have my sexy dream moment with the evil reflection in the water. It's so hot. It's so evil. I'm very much here for it. And also, I'm very much here for Lucienne being absolutely right with the this is dangerous and it has gotten much worse than it was before. And then he's literally being pulled under and he goes like, you're right, Lucien. It's like, the die. I know, but also the way Lucien treats him, I don't think it's very
0: helpful in this situation. Unfortunately, we are dealing with an ego that has been hurt by being imprisoned.
1: Boo hoo. I'm very much with Lucien.
0: I know, but Lucien (laughs) is going very straightforward. You are making a mistake. You should be doing something else. Yes, And and she's right. I'm not saying she's not. I'm just saying... The, the way she's approaching it is very straightforward, which I appreciate on one hand. But also, I understand that Dream will not take that advice because it's...
1: Because he's a man.
0: Well, he doesn't want to do that. He has a hurt ego. <laughs> And he needs to set it right He needs to fix his ego That's the thing I think that's the biggest problem right
1: now The sad thing is that Lucien probably is smart enough to know That no matter how she approaches it He's gonna still do his own thing So she might as well be straightforward And so at least afterwards she can be like Yo dude I told you so Because that is what I would be doing I mean yes We all know that (laughs) So we are in the waters and we now finally get into various dreams and I really hope we do keep seeing dreams because it just looks fucking amazing. Like seriously. It's so cool. And we have the one with the her head full of British horror films which oh yeah I can relate. Of course you do. I also love how they
0: create the flipping between the dreams that it's not the
1: transitioning. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's not that he comes in and out. He makes it so it's part of the dream that he takes the thing away or that he absorbs the thing or whatever he does. So uh, it's just really, really well done.
1: And we get the... Coat flip when he catches the snake. Oh yeah, that was like...
0: That was my number two hot moment, actually.
1: We have some amazing cinematography in all of those dream moments, but especially the one with the snake is amazing. And he goes with the serpent, the symbol of reformation, life, death and rebirth, which once again... Three, you know, huh? Hecate, three in one, one in three, life, death, reverb, ah. And so it all works. But he also takes the egg in one of the dreams. We don't know instantly why, but this is where we get it. And he takes the crossroads, which, I mean, we're always here for crossroads. Who isn't? And then he is ready. He is ready to meet the fates, the three who are one, the one who is free, the Hecate. Ah. Uh. This segment, this entire, what even
0: is this? It's a compilation, it's a montage, this entire montage, dream montage, and then him calling on the fates. It's just so beautiful and it's incredibly cool the way he talks to them you have found me out yes I need something and the way they talk to him they all know why he's there they all know what questions he's going to
1: ask and once again I'm very disappointed in him because he should know better I hate that he fucks up the same way every single time I hate that he didn't phrase and prepare his questions better knowing that they would at best allow him one question Each When dealing with creatures like the fates or the she or whatever You need to do your fucking homework And he is an endless being He should have done his homework millennia ago So this was very disappointing to me
0: Also the first fate or one of the fates, or the fates, they give him a warning when he first crosses over to ask a follow-up question. They say, you know better.
1: Yeah, exactly. And he does know better, and then he does it again and again and again. It's like, dude. But
0: it just shows that he is fallible, and that makes him... uh, Human. I'm against that. (laughs) That's fair
1: enough. That's fair enough. But
0: like, it makes sense to me. It it makes him, yes, it makes him human, but it also makes him more relatable.
1: Yeah, and I understand why this is something in general... People like, but I like my main characters. Unrelatable? At least slightly better (laughs) than me, not worse than me, you know? I would have been better prepared in this scene than he was. And I expect more of a fucking endless being than I expect of myself.
0: But the thing is, if he starts on a higher level, he's not gonna have as far to go in order to
1: improve. Just means writing for him is more difficult. And I also have high expectations of the writers. The We have the wonderful free questions, the repeated fucking up, but most importantly, we get three informations. We get the info for the pouch that Joanna Constantine has the pouch.
0: Well... We know that she's the last one who purchased it.
1: Then we know that the helm is in position of a demon. And we know that the ruby is in John's possession because it got passed along from a mother to a son. So it has to be John because she only has the one son as far as we know.
0: Again, because Morpheus is not asking really smart questions. We know what happened, but we don't know if that's where the items stayed. So I think that's, in all three cases, it will play a certain role to where they ended up, actually.
1: And so expectation, obviously, is that now the next three episodes are going to be one episode for the pouch, one for the helm, and one for the ruby. Probably. So just quickly, we pop back to Cain and Abel. And there are a lot of graves, obviously. And one of the graves, the egg is there. Because he didn't take it for the fate.
0: Yeah, he took it for some other purpose.
1: He took it for Abel. And it is very, very sweet. But... Before we get into details there, we have to pop back over to our third story, which is still the Corinthian with Ethel in Buffalo, New York. And seriously, I love her and I love the lines that they have written for her because when she goes supernatural and sexist, you really are a nightmare. It's like, yeah, make drop.
0: Yeah, first of all, that second of all, supernatural and sexist should be the real name of the show, Supernatural. <laughs> Let's just put it on the record now.
1: Instead of there and back again, they should have named the podcast about it, Supernatural at Texas.
0: Oh my god, yes. I'm going to become their patron yet again, just so I can DM them that they should rename the podcast.
1: If we ever run out of material and we decide to cover Supernatural, this is what we're going to call our podcast.
0: Yes. Yeah, they should not get that name. We are trademarking it right now. It is ours. Nobody can take it away from us. And if somebody comes up with that, we We said it first pay us money
1: yes perfect
0: yeah so basically first she compliments him and he goes oh are you flirting with me she is certainly not flirting with him then he compliments her because he says well you look very good for your age considering you according to yourself didn't keep the items and she's like well now who's flirting with whom Love that. Sassy. And then she goes off with the whole supernatural and sexist. You really are a nightmare. And then I was like, you know, there's nothing else you need to say. I am in love with you at all now. And I just, there's no changing it. If you die, I quit the show.
1: No, you won't. Shut up. I honestly don't remember what happens to her because I didn't watch enough ahead. So I don't know. (laughs) But then we learn that John took the ruby and then the ruby took John, which is incredibly ominous.
0: Mm-hmm. She does say it has the power to make dreams come true, but also nightmares, which is very, very ominous.
1: Do you think this is why the Corinthian wants the ruby? Because it would basically make him more real than he already is? He said that
0: the items don't work for him because they are made out of the same thing that he is. Which, by the way, actually brings us back to the whole, does Dream need the items or was he born with them? It feels like he created those items so it's easier for him maybe to use his power or something like that. And now, therefore, he needs them because they are a part of him. Same way the Corinthian is a part of him because he created him. <laughs> Mm, Something to think about. We'll see. We'll see. But yeah, I don't think that he can use any of the items. I genuinely just... Thing that he wants them to use them to seduce another human to do his bidding which is kill dream
1: for me just because he says he can't use it does not mean I believe him he can't use it because he's the Corinthian and I basically just assume he lies that's fair enough so yeah you know you never know we're gonna see how it goes but he just continues being creepy and Ethel does the only thing that she should be doing and that is she fucking disintegrates him
0: yeah is like well i'm gonna eat your eyes and then i'm gonna know everything that you do and she's like well fuck you because i don't need dreams items to keep myself safe because i have my own bye bye
1: so yeah very much here for it and she fucking kicks ass but the visual effect is so gruesome
0: what a power move though we later on find out that she sends him back to the dreaming but like oh my god do you think he felt it do you think it was painful for him yes do you think he's gonna come back and try to murder her for it
1: i think he is much more efficiency driven than ego driven if it serves more than one goal he definitely will not hesitate to torture her and kill her but right now he's on a mission and he is more mission oriented
0: but he's also pretty sure that she knows where the is.
1: Well, basically she already told him that John took the ruby so now he already knows that his next stop has to be John. He doesn't need her anymore for that. That's
0: true. Unless he's gonna try to follow her to find him but then again he doesn't really know that she is in touch with him or that she would know where he is. She said that she
1: lost him. Also, he probably has other ways of figuring out where John is anyway. So yeah, disintegrate the Corinthian and we pop back to Cain and Abel to a really really sweet interaction with thank you for burying me in such a shallow grave this time
0: that's so cute honestly in this scene it's starting to get a little grating to me that he is just such a positive person and i'm just like just stop talking for a minute please stop being so positive the world is shit they literally lost their best friend. And the only thing that he can say about it is, like, oh, everything's great. You m- buried me in a shallow grave. No, this he time. does not
1: say everything is great. He is finding the silver lining in everything because he is the yin to Kane's yang with everything is shite. I mean,
0: yes, I understand it, But personally, I much more vibe with what Kane does.
1: I mean, Kane also is amazing with his cursing because he calls him a lacquid and a gully. Guts. It's just like, yay, I'm here for it.
0: Literally, the first thing that we see when he turns around is that he is holding the hot poker. And I'm like, oh, no. And I am proven right very, very cool
1: Yep, because Abel tries to figure out names for the new baby gargoyle that don't start with a G. And that doesn't fly because Cain is very much a we-do-things-as-they-are-supposed-to-be dude. And so a gargoyle's name has to start with a G.
0: Gerving! Gerving, though! I—that's
1: Honestly, that's one of my favorite jokes this entire episode. Yeah, no, I'm with Kane for stabbing him for that. <laughs> See? <laughs> This I did not <laughs> find grating. Like, I, I found the beginning not grating, but this I found annoying. And you are quite the opposite with the, oh no, there's fucking positivity. And then there's a pun and you're like, I i not like, stab the fucker. <laughs> So funny. Good. And that again. We pop back to Buffalo, New York, but this time we're not in Ethel's home. We are in some weird high security thingy.
0: Yeah, I was first wondering if she's meeting with one of her buyers. So if it's like a hotel or something.
1: Or a vault.
0: Yeah. It looked like a government facility, maybe. And then apparently it's a
1: hospital, but like, is it? Also, she is being called Miss D. Yes. Which is curious, because her surname was Cripps, so Miss C would make more sense. But who knows what her current surname is that she has taken?
0: Didn't we get a first name for her in the first scene? Pretty sure we did. I just didn't write it down because I am a dumbbell, But
1: I glossed over it because for me she will always be Ethel. But so it's curious that she obviously. I mean, it makes sense because she's smart. But she apparently changed her surname to something else. And so she continues walking past security, and we meet her son John, and John is played by David Thewlis, who most people probably know from Harry Potter because he is Remus Lupin in there. But To me, much more relevant. He plays the shame wizard in Big Mouth, or rather in human resources from Big Mouth. And basically, the setup is that all of your emotions are monsters that cause and like interact with you on like a weird level. And the Shame Wizard is there to make you feel shame. Of course. The Shame Wizard that David plays has the worst relationship with his mother. And this entire scene felt like it was taken straight out of the animated show. Because all I could see was the Shame Wizard talking. And it was just, it it freaked me out so much because the last time I watched this episode I hadn't watched anything from Big Mouth or Human Resources. So I didn't have that association. So this is very new to me. And I'm really going to try and make it somehow that the shame wizard leaves my brain.
0: That would be probably good.
1: Because it it, it lives rent-free in my brain. So we meet john and he looks very much worse for wear i have to say he does not he looks older than her yeah yeah he looks older than her which is curious and also he refers to this as a prison and she is very quick to correct him that this is a hospital not a prison which why not both exactly can he leave no and that makes it a prison Are they trying to help him? Maybe. So that probably makes it a hospital. (laughs) It
0: looks like it's some sort of a mental hospital then. Because she asks about how his therapy is going. And then she said, you have come a long way. We need to talk about the Ruby. So my assumption right now is... He does not have the ruby on him. She's taken it from him and it's somewhere else. Because the ruby has taken his sanity.
1: If she had taken it from him then she would not have to talk to him about the ruby. I rather think that he did something with the ruby before she could get her hands on him. Because if she had taken the ruby from him, she would not need to have a conversation with him, you know?
0: Mm, That makes sense, actually. She
1: must need something from him. And the only thing that right now she needs is information where the ruby is. So he must be the only person to know that.
0: So he probably have had the ruby. It's like a very Frodonian situation where the ruby has taken over his mind.
1: Basically, he's Gollum.
0: Yeah, so he's managed to... Hide the precious before she managed to get him into the hospital.
1: That is my assumption because otherwise she would have no reason to have a conversation with him about this. And
0: as she said, she doesn't want to know. I don't think she lied to the Corinthian. She doesn't know where it is and she didn't want to know until that point because she didn't need to know because her son was recovering outside of the Ruby's power.
1: Basically, now she needs to get ahead of the Corinthian, which is why I assume she knows that discorporating him was only temporary. So now she needs to get a head start and fix everything for herself and for her son. Because she's Ethel and Ethel gets shit done. I love her. Did I say I love her? Yes, repeatedly. We go into the penultimate scene. We go back to Cain and Abel and Goldie, our newest gargoyle baby, is waiting at yet another grave for Abel to wake up.
0: And this time Abel isn't even covered with dirt. He was just thrown into the pit.
1: And Abel gives us some exposition on the relationship between Cain and Abel because it is who we are. And it is curious to me because Cain and Abel are neither dreams nor nightmares yet they live in the dreaming. So I wonder if we will learn more about them or others like them who live in the dreaming without being part of the dreaming. As to why.
0: We don't know why we know that they took a refuge there, which is mentioned earlier.
1: Yeah, but I wonder if you learn more about this.
0: That would be a very, very interesting. S is the story, I mean dream, I mean story that Abel tells Gerving. Goldie. Gerving. In his heart, it's always going to be Gerving.
1: No, in his heart it's always going to be a name that does not start with g
0: either way mm-hmm. he says the story of oh two brothers and they loved each other very much and they lived in the same house and not two houses which is honestly more of a dream than a story and i find it very interesting to have that kind of a dream in uh, the dreaming
1: it's a hope because basically abel is a very sweet soul And whilst most of the time he does come across as kind of dumb. I think he specifically is framed as being dumb. And this is the moment where we see that he isn't. Because he ends this scene with if that is what makes Kane happy. He is aware of the very delicate balance between the two of them. And the interactions and everything. So I think that he is very sweet and he might be naive. But I don't think that he is dumb. But I think he is deliberately framed as coming across like that.
0: I didn't think he was dumb. I picked him as a very naive myself. That was the biggest thing, and that's I don't have a lot of patience for naivete, not gonna lie. But I also think that this is more of a dream, because I think that he would hope, yes, that this might once become a reality, but I also think that he is smart enough to know that that is a very improbable scenario, because they are who they are. He is the first victim, and forever will be the first victim, and his brother is the first murderer, and forever will be the first murderer, you know? So he is aware of the reality, that's why this
1: is a dream to him, I think. But he also remembers the time before his brother murdered him. So we'll see if we ever see them again. We go into the final scene. We are back on the wharf and the dream is now very
0: adamant to go back to London to find this Constantine because if she is the same way her ancestor was it will
1: be easy for him to communicate with her. Also, she has the pouch, or she knows where the pouch is, and that means more sand, and that means more direct power. So it makes sense to go that direction.
0: And go there first. But Lucien tries to convince him to bring a raven with him. And it makes sense for her, because she's like, well, I will know what's going on with you, my lord. And he he's like, yeah, but I don't want a raven anymore, because... Jessamy was the last one and I feel that this is fueled by the pain that he just didn't get a chance to get over of losing Jessamy and as much as I understand why Lucian wants him to take a raven with him I also understand why the dream doesn't want to because he feels like he can do this by himself without putting any other creature into a line of fire and I you know what I get that it is too human for me
1: That is my main issue. It is too human to me that Dream is displaying this level of arrogance. And also it feels very dismissive of Lucienne to not even consider. Because he doesn't even take a moment to consider. He slaps it down right away. And she is the only thing that held together the last remnants of the Dreaming. And to not even give her the consideration of a few moments to... Think about, even if he does say no in the end, to think about having a raven with him. That is the minimum I wanted.
0: Yeah, that's fair. Do you think that Lucien knows what happened with Jessamy?
1: I would be surprised if not. Even if she doesn't know no, she is able to infer that the only reason Jessamy isn't with him is because Jessamy is dead. Yes, but the way of her death... I don't think she knows that Dream witnessed her death like that. But also, it doesn't matter. It does, I think, though. Not enough for this to be like that. The pain
0: that he's went through, the trauma that he's went through, especially that specific moment with Jasmine. I think that if she knew, if Lucien knew what ha- happened, she wouldn't have pushed it so hard because she has touched a sore spot with suggesting the Raven, and she wasn't aware there was a sore spot. And I'm not blaming Lucien for not knowing. Absolutely not. It's not. On her. Let's face it, if Morpheus was chattier, if maybe he would have explained his decisions, the situation would have been a very, very different.
1: He doesn't owe her an explanation, but he owes her taking time to consider her request. And he doesn't, and that is my issue.
0: But he's not making decisions right now from a place of consideration. He's not making them from a place of thoughtfulness. He's making decisions from a
1: place of pain. Yeah. Too human. So we can shorten the whole debate. (laughs) So E fucks off, but we don't leave the dreaming because we have to watch an amazing visual effect of the reassembling of the Corinthian. And I am here for it. It is really, really gruesome and it looks fucking brilliant.
0: Amazing. It's gross. I love that Ethel has the power to
1: send the Corinthian back into the dreaming. I wonder if it works on dream as well, you know? Mm. That is, again, circling back to the question... They're made of the same stuff, supposedly. Are they? Are they though? Well, his items are made of the same things as he is, and Corinthian said that he is made of the same things his items are. So,
0: well, are his items made of the same things that he is, or are his items made from the same th- things as his power? Uh-uh. Like, is he his power? Tomato, tomato. <laughs>
1: yes, he is his power. Mm.
0: So, without his power, he is—he no longer exists.
1: Yes, because he is an abstract being called the dream. So, the dream of the endless. So, yes, I would say so. But he is endless. How can he cease to exist? Well, I'm pretty sure that is going to come up at some point. So... Dream missed the Corinthian because he fucked off. The Corinthian came back, but Lucien is still there. And so we get a short interaction between the Corinthian and Lucien. And I love this dialogue because it is fucking on point. And also, I am turning in a fucking Corinthian apologist because he's right. <laughs> Dream has no loyalty to his creations. So why should his creations be loyal to him?
0: And see, I don't think that's entirely true.
1: In which way, shape or form has Dream... Shown any kind of loyalty to his creatures or creations. Well,
0: does he have loyalty or love or both? I think that he has a lot of love
1: for his creations. That is not what the Grandfian said. The Grandfian said that Dream has no loyalty to his creations and thus he will not have loyalty to him. And I say that is true. And we have not seen anything indicating otherwise. I would even doubt if he has respect for his creatures. So, If you don't show respect for your creator, why would you... Well, first of all, because
0: without the creator, you wouldn't exist. But also, that is a bit of a thin line to walk.
1: Exactly. So I'm here for it. Corinthian, Corinthian, Corinthian. Oh, God, this is going to be a long, long,
0: long way to go.
1: No, because we're done now.
0: Well, yes, but what I mean is... (laughs) in the other episodes because if you're gonna be a Corinthian apologist I don't really know how I'm gonna cope because yes he's hot and deliciously evil but I have no apologies for his behavior the
1: Corinthian has done nothing wrong Corinthian has done nothing wrong he eats human eyeballs he may be only of bad people we don't know who he has killed he was trying to eat Ethel's eyeballs yeah but he didn't but
0: he would have if she didn't send him back into the dreaming
1: but he didn't we don't convict people for things they didn't do
0: I'm going to remind you of this later. So basically, Lena is going to apologize murder. I will not be doing that. But I will tell you what I think about this episode instead, at least for now. Two episodes in and my faves are starting to emerge. And then, of course, they're killed off immediately. Oh. Twice this happened. Twice already in two episodes. Yeah,
1: because you have to stop picking creatures as your favorite.
0: Because they're the smartest of the. N- Never mind. In all seriousness... I love Ethel. She is smart. She is cool. I absolutely root for her. Love her. I am intrigued how the Corinthian is planning to kill Dream because he mentions that in the last scene that if Dream comes after him, he will not be coming back. So it seems like he has a specific plan. And especially if Morpheus manages to collect his items of power before coming after him, that's going to prove very, very difficult. I saw a glimpse of Jenna Coleman, so I expect to meet her character in the next episode for which I am extremely psyched for. And in conclusion, they are doing an excellent job of me wanting to watch everything immediately.
1: Which you won't, because then it would not be as much fun. I want, but I really wanna. Well, that just means we have to record more often. So this was a short episode, and... Content-wise, it's technically still set up for the general plot of the season, but we finally meet some characters that actually will be relevant in the future. (laughs) So, yay! (laughs) Because I assume our free retrieval missions will give us the characters that we have met, and some of them probably repeatedly. Very much here for Ethel as well. Love her being a savvy thief, though it is kind of sad that her son apparently turned into a dangerous maniac.
0: Strong words.
1: Well, he is in a mental hospital that is a prison. So he must be a danger to himself and others and he is in need of therapy. So I think I am not exaggerating when I call him a dangerous maniac. Also, this seems to be the price of wielding possessions of the Endless. So no surprise there as well. I have been and still am a bit whelmed. At how bad Morpheus seems to be At some of these things That he should be a fucking pro in Because he is an endless being So he should know what the fuck he's doing He should have the experience He should have the knowledge at least But uh, well Poor baby boy was imprisoned for a hundred years Apparently while he didn't communicate He also forgot everything he never known. Happens Next up we finally start taking proper action So hopefully we also do get some proper action instead of just watching people kill cute creatures. Well, this turned out shorter than I feared. But worry not. I'm sure in two weeks we will be back to our usual longer coverage. Until then, there are hours upon hours of bonus material over on our Patreon. So if you want to check that out, it's patreon.com slash T-A-O-T podcast. We...
0: Certainly have social media. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Instagram. And Blue Sky, we are super active. Not. But we have extra codes. True. If you want a Blue Sky code, let us know. We can hook you up. And... With all of that out there, don't hesitate to send us your feedback. Our email address can be found in the description of this episode. Sandman at
1: taot-podcast.com.
0: There it is. And we love hearing from you. You can also write us a review on iTunes. It really helps. And you can also recommend us to all of your friends because we're amazing, right? So thank you for listening and Bye. bye!